when it comes yeah, to water sacrifices, I, I gotta read it. I gotta read it. You know what I mean? When it comes to water sacrifices, yeah. I'm the that's dude my, that remembers. That's my that's my wheelhouse. I gotta I gotta read that stuff. Deep in the foothills of Appalachia, directly from the number one drug overdose death capital of America, two dudes discuss various conspiracy theory topics in a virtual campfire setting. You folks of the interwebs may find the conspiracy theories discussed to be unbelievable, but more and more people are finding these same conspiracy theories to be more fact than fiction. Plus, there is no way I can make this shit up. Welcome to Conspiracy Campfire, and thank you for joining me to get a little GCD. But okay, man, yeah, so let's just jump into this. I kind of wanted to format, you know, our second um, you know, talk with kind of like a reverse podcast in a sense, you know, I think <laughs> I've, I've listened a lot to your, uh, stuff on like your YouTube. Um, of course the operation GCT pod on my, uh, my, um, source of choice, which is overcast. Um, nice, nice. but I've also, you know, I've, you know, heard you on my, one of my favorite podcasts, which we've talked about is the farm, um, with recluse, AKA Steven Snyder. Yeah, it's so, a great yeah, podcast. I, it's one of the I think it's one of the most underappreciated, um, just general, like weird sort of crypto um politics and, and I don't even I can't even think of the the terms to use right now to describe it. It's such a unique podcast. I, I feel like we need more of it and more like Operation G C D because it's along the same vein. That's kind of how I got introduced to you and your work. Yeah, I think and, that's why Steven Snyder and I have become quick friends, is because we, we have we share a lot of commonalities in our interests. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I, I consider myself a delver of into many, um, sort of different circles. And, uh, this is one of my favorites. Um, so I guess getting, get, get into the meat of what I'm trying to, to get out there about yourself and what you're doing. Um, you know, what, what would you say defines you? You know, is there a particular, um, is there a particular moment in your life or uh, event that occurred that you feel like really defined sort of where you're at now in your life and what you're um, jumping into? Oh man, that's a great question. I think in large part, there's probably a lot of small moments, but I oftentimes attribute kind of my uh, general sense of the world in my conspiracy theory nature, if you will, you know, <laughs> I, not that I, I think, not that I think everything's a conspiracy, but I, I tend to break things down to try to, to try to understand what's, what, what is actually going on in any kind of circumstance environment. And uh, I think a lot of that is kind of based in some, sort of a Gnostic kind of mindset. And I would, I, I oftentimes attribute that to the, uh, the Mormon church. Cause I grew up uh, in a very, uh, very Mormon atmosphere, heavy. Uh, I mean, only one of my parents were, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in my home, my, my father was not a Mormon, which is a pretty significant thing amongst the hierarchy within the Mormon church, because it's a very patriarchal society and, or, you know, mm -hmm. religion. Um, and you know, if your father's not a member, it's not like you're a second class citizen, but you're kind of almost a second class citizen within the you're church. You're essentially not a member yourself in a way. Yeah. I mean, you are, and you aren't, I mean, there's, you right. can definitely see that, uh, you know, having uh, a father, you, you know, other members who have a father in the church is, it seems to have, uh, some, some added, uh, benefits or, or, or at least, uh, uh, maybe a less, uh, but, but hurtedness from other folks opinions of you as a person within the church. Right. Right. So, 
You know, well, they have a they have a very strong uh, women's society within within the Mormon religion. Yes. Um, that uh, and my and my mother was very much uh, incorporated in that. She was a convert herself into the Mormon Church. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's heavily it's heavily influenced within the the, the male the male component of the of the church and the religion. Just in the so from a Mormon lineage, did it did it occur on your mother's side only and not your father's or? Well, that's one of my interesting things. Well, yeah, let me get to that point in one second, and I'll finish up my point on the, the Gnostic aspects of the situation. So, if you really break down kind of the uh, philosophical understandings of the Mormon religion, it is a very Gnostic approach to the universe and the world. I mean, basically, I think they actually borrowed this from the Vatican or the Catholics. But one of the one of the common mantras or you know core concepts of Mormonism is be in the world but not of the world. Meaning, right, be passerbys. Yeah, I mean, like you know, um, in kind of in that same, yeah, in a sense, right? You're right, but in in like the Gnostic uh, principles that I was kind of referring to or alluding to is, you know, that principle within the Mormon Church is based upon kind of the fact that we live in a world of a demiurge, almost. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like how the Gnostic belief of the demiurges and how right. that's the, the material that's the world being a, exactly a, a refracted. Um, abortion of re- of a true reality that exists in somewhat of a higher realm, precisely, um, well, and is well also stated, kind of parallel Bobby. to Plato's cave in the shadows. Yeah, cast very, very we're living within those shadows in in a way. Yeah, so that's one of the that's one of the things that kind of you know over the years that you know I, I mean I, I I was active until I was about nineteen, so I got you know I got baptized at the age of eight, and I got because uh, they don't baptize you as a as a baby. They they. Uh, they have like an anointing ceremony of sorts, I believe. Like they sprinkle mm-hmm. water on a baby kind of deal. Right. And uh, that happened for me at uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School, strangely enough. Oh, my gosh. So that's, that's where crazy. I was. Yeah, I, I hailed originally from Fairfield County, Connecticut. And okay. back in the early 80s, you know, the uh, late 70s, early 80s, you know, you know, you may you may see a lot of Mormon facilities now. Right. They're in around, uh, you know, towns and, and temples around the U.S. and r- around the world now. But that's largely as a result of the IRS threatening the Mormon church to start spending all the money they were hoarding or lose their tax status. And, you know, Scientology kind of got the same treatment from the IRS in, in recent years. Getting some feedback on your end, all right? Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's going no, you're on fine. here. Uh, let me fix this. But yeah, so to to lead that to lead my response into to my the the anointing, I think it's the anointing ceremony. I believe it's it's like a, you know it's like a christening, I think, in a lot of Christian religions. But I don't think they call it a christening. I, I don't recall the exact terminology gotcha. off the top of my head. But when you're when you're born, they'll and you're you know they'll uh, they'll sprinkle some water on you and you know give you some sort of magical spell, you know, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> no, no, I, I yeah, I I understand the structure as well. I, so that, when I. That, uh, well, let me just finish my point. You asked me about before I forget about my my sure, family's sure. my family's history with the Mormon Church. I didn't think we had any. So my mother was a convert in Washington D.C. She's from uh, she hails from West Virginia, and uh, the um, she was uh, living in in uh, Washington D.C. in the you know the early 1970s and and became a convert you know in uh, into the Mormon Church. So I, I presume that was my <laughs> mm. I didn't have any other, to my knowledge, I had no other immediate family that were part of the Mormon church. Right. And then I, you right. know, I started looking at some, you know, doing genealogy work because that's very big in the Mormon church, genealogy work. Yeah. And when I got more into that over about the last decade, 
you know, and doing DNA tests, stuff like that, and trying to just better understand my genealogy. I yeah, discovered yeah. I discovered a significantly more more uh, uh, ancestral and historical connections to the Mormon Church than I previously previously knew. <laughs> See, come, it was it, it all was came back odd. around lineage wise. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give you before I get into some of that I'll, real quick. I'll give you a, a quick note on uh, one of my more famous Ken that's a uh, part of Clan Vance that he was also a Mormon, and that is a uh, fellow West Virginian um, Jack Dempsey, the legendary boxer Jack Dempsey. Nice. So he's he's also a descendant of Ab, of that same man Abner Vance, and Abner's a very interesting character because he's he's the progenitor of of uh, numerous individuals within the Hatfields and McCoys, including Devil Zan's Hatfield, that would have been Devil Zan's grandfather, and uh, is a mother Devil Zan's mother being a a, a a great aunt of mine, I believe, what three four times over. So wow. yeah, so. Uh, Abner Vance, you know, he's a very interesting character. He's actually the first musician west of the Appalachian Mountains. He was hung for a murder he didn't commit, and the pardon for that for that murder um, arrived a few hours too late, as the story goes. I would call hmm. into question some of those tales, given my investigation of the matter. However, there yeah, are yeah. newspaper accounts, et cetera, et cetera, claiming that he was hung. And, and the pardon arrived too late, et cetera, et cetera. And he, uh, the, as far as the musician thing, he sang a song on the gallows for like three hours. It was almost as if, as if he knew a, a pardon was coming. Oh my but gosh. Yeah, so that's a, he's an interesting man. And that's where all my Vance lineage comes from is that man. And again, he's Jack Dempsey's uh, great grandfather. I believe it's great grandfather. Yeah. Great grandfather. And Jack Dempsey was a Mormon. His parents were Mormons as well. So I, and that was kind of interesting for me to learn. Cause I didn't know there was a lot of yeah. Mormons in southern you know southwestern west virginia right logan county it doesn't you know. seem like the area that would no it doesn't seem yeah, like a high protestant high, uh, no i mean you tell me there's mormons in salt lake idaho arizona missouri yeah, yeah. illinois i'm like yeah. yeah sure i get it right that makes but, sense yeah yeah west virginia nah, i wasn't really <laughs> wasn't really tracking that but yeah so when yeah. i when i delved in further i found out that um the the town i grew up in in vermont every summer at my grandfolks home on, on the other side of my family is uh, you know that that's kind of where Mormonism, you know, had 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 some of its origins. So, first of all, uh, the town's called Huntington, Vermont, and uh, a number of the uh, founding members of the Mormon Church were Huntingtons, and cousins with the founder of that town, who's one of my forefathers, a man by the name of um, Elias Buell. He was a member of the Society of Cincinnati. Go figure, right? Right, and, right. Uh, he was a out of the Connecticut chapter, and he, his mother was a Huntington. He named the town after her, and he uh, he was actually George Washington's part of George Washington's quote unquote Secret Service when George Washington was, uh, you know, when the Capitol was in New York City, you know, back there at the turn of the Revolution. So I have a lot of George Washington in my history because again, Abner Vance was a he, he served under Washington as a spy and a scout at the age of 17 and um, at the start of the war. So a lot of, and again, his father grew up with George Washington in Frederick, Virginia. So a lot of, and George Washington's a cousin as well of, of Clay Vance, my, at nice. least my, my wing. So it's, it was, that was weird for me to find that out that my uh, new England heritage also had roots around not only George Washington, but then the Mormons also. So um, interesting one, crossover. Yeah, in fact, yeah, in yeah. My, in my family has really close roots within that, not just the Huntington portions, but the Tafts. So the, the Mormon, yeah. the, the Taft family, like the Skull and Bones Taft family, 
the another wing of that family, you know, cousins to the Skull and Bones wing, they uh, they're from um, Huntington, Vermont. And in fact, uh, a couple members of that Taft family grew up in my at my great grandmother's home. I don't wow. I don't know all the details. But I just I found them in a census, you know, U.S. Census, living there. I right knew they were there. You know, Cincinnati, I knew you have the Taft Theater, which is right next to the Masonic Lodge. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's of the uh, that's the Skull and Bones branch. That's the William Howard Taft branch. Okay. Okay. So gotcha. you have that the, may, okay, the branch I'm referring to, to is the Ezra Taft Benson branch. Ezra Taft. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. He was he was an early 19th century apostle in the um, Mormon Church, and then okay. his his grandson, also named Ezra Taft Benson, was the president of the Mormon Church when I was growing up. Gotcha. And that man served as the. Was the labor secretary for Dwight D. Eisenhower for eight years? The second, the, the number two, Ezra Taft Benson, number two. So, you know, it was an interesting uh, kind of perspective looking at a lot of my family's history because we have a, I have a lot of Mormon roots that I was unaware of. Right. And so that and, you know, the Gnostic ties and themes that you can find within Mormonism or really any sort of esoteric Christian tradition um, sort of led you into the idea of, of, of sort of a Gnostic lens of looking at the world with a Gnostic lens. Um, and, and to be honest with you, like myself for the past two years, I feel like that's when I really started understanding what exactly Gnostic Christianity was and sort of making a shift from just traditional, like Southern Baptist Christian view to Gnostic Christian for myself was quite transformative. And I think we've talked about this, but Gnosticism seems to open up a lens of the seeing the world in a way that you can then think about it in terms of systems thinking. You can start overlaying components and internet interconnecting components because it, to me, it almost feels like you're looking at the world in a realist sense. Um, sure. And maybe, you know, one could argue, Oh, that's delusion or, or whatnot, but that's just the, the, the vibration or what, however you describe, I hate even saying that. I want to like bang my head up against the wall for, <laughs> well, for admitting I mean, that, but it's, a, that's, it's an that's, accurate description. I think. Yeah. It's, it's like almost like that. Um, you know, it, it's like the, the, I think in one of the Gnostic texts, uh, John describes, or maybe even it's in the mainstream Bible, John, the Baptist describes, um, awakening, or maybe it's Paul. Yeah. I think it's Paul. The apostle Paul describes awakening as, like sand being removed from his eyes. It literally felt as if sand was like taken out of his eyes. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like Gnosticism as a whole is, is sort of the gateway drug to, to, <laughs> to opening your eyes. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to put it. That is a good way to put it. Yeah. The, so uh, if yeah, I may ask, yeah, go ahead. In, it, within Mormonism, was there a defining like moment where you decided that, I need to examine Mormonism with a more systems thinking lens and then examine the world that Mormonism is involved in it with a more systems thinking lens. And I guess I'm just trying to understand how you got from that to like talking about the smiley face killer and the connection <laughs> to like, you know, a much deeper, darker esoteric religion that sort of opposes the Gnostic lens of things. Yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting journey to, on that path. It's a good question. I, uh, I suppose, just kind of over time, you know, I uh, just began to continue to, to continue to evaluate things as I'm just, you know, naturally uh, inclined to do. And, uh, you know, I was, I've kind of always been. I know you're, you're obviously a detective. You're a detective 
uh, portal, Detective Popcorn, whichever whichever <laughs> version you you prefer. Detective um, in the most hit, hilarious sense, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's you know I think it's I think it you know in in our discussions and getting to know each other, I think you've I, I see why you have that nickname because you do have a, a very analytical uh, sense about yourself where you're you're breaking things down, you're analyzing things, comparing and contrasting, trying to get a more accurate side picture of activities Thank and you. things and. And I, that's kind of, that's, that's my kind of uh, natural state of, uh, of being as well. I'm always, I'm always doing that. My son, for example, when his, uh, when he graduated elementary school, his fifth grade teacher gave him, she gave out awards, I guess. I don't know how, I don't know the differentiations or variations of the awards she gave, but she gave him the, uh, the detective award. She said, he's, uh, you know, I went to his graduation and she, she stopped me and said, Hey, you know, your son, he always wants to know. Not what, not only, you know, what's going on, but like why it's going on, how it's going on, et cetera, et cetera. So I gave him the detective award and that's why I was like, oh, well, he learned from his old man. So it makes sense. He earned it. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think it just over the time, I just uh, continue to evaluate circumstances and, and uh, I, I, I had a, you know, one of my, uh, especially probably more so because I didn't have a father in the church. I had, I had some, you know, mentorship from, from my, my, uh, youth group leaders, you know, during my, my, um, my formative years as a teenager in the Mormon church, for example, you have, uh, they have, uh, priesthoods, various levels of priesthoods, you know, magical orders, if you will, within the uh, Mormon church. So when you're, when you turn, I think it's 13, I'm trying to remember, I think when you turn 13, you get your first one, you get ordained in your first priesthood. And I think it's 15 and then 18. So you kind of have a different, you get during those different priesthood terms, you have like a different, uh, youth, youth leader, right? Like an, one of the, you know, one of the adult men in the church who's assigned to be the teacher for that priesthood. Um, right. Like a the, mentorship kind yeah, of. Yeah. And it's not just for one year. It's for the, the, the two years you're in that priesthood and, you know, and then you get a new te- you know, a new teacher, you know, or mentor, you know, so like a normal, a normal Sunday would be, you go to the normal, you go to the certain that the, everyone convenes within the, the, the main hall of the church for uh, the sacrament service, which yeah. is like an hour and a half. And then you go to your priesthood session and then you go to the mixed youth group session with, with the female uh, contingent of your age group as well. But the, the, the males and females are broken up during that first uh, like hour long session after sacrament, which is the, the priesthood session. So I had some really good mentors within that, that, yeah. uh, that time that really in, instilled a lot of things, you know, in me regarding the way I, I look at the world and, and the way I, I process things. And one of them was a guy by the name of Dale Bradford, which was kind of funny. It's an interesting character. I think <laughs> yeah, he's still around. He's getting, he's getting long years. He's probably about 80. Um, you know, cause this is hell, this is almost 30 years ago. Um, he was also my basketball coach. We played, I played in the Mormon basketball association here in Cincinnati, which is a big basketball league. We were nice. The, we won back-to-back champs my senior, junior and senior year. I, I called it the Holy grail. Everybody at my church hated the fact that I called the basketball championship, <laughs> the Holy grail. You know, they thought it was like, you know, offensive or something, but I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get <can imagine. laughs> But my, he was my basketball coach. In fact, he used to, you know, he used to put me in order every once in a while. Cause he, uh, yeah, I used to. I, used to, I was a real mouthy teenager. <laughs> I can't. I'm not gonna lie. You don't say. You know, I'm, I'm a big smartass anyway, so I didn't have. You know, I had less of a filter on that years ago. And nice. you know, he uh, company. Yeah, we were playing. We were playing scrimmage. You know, and he was playing with us. He was. He was a good ball player. You know, he's about not a tall guy. He's about five foot six, but he played point guard and he was tough. And he's like a 50 year old man at this point. You know, and he's always. And I play point guard, so we. You know, 
we all, we oftentimes had a lot of, you know, back and forth. You know, this is when I'm like 16, 17 years old. And one time he just, he just punched me right in the, punched me right in the face. And I honestly, I was like, I apologize to him after, cause I did make some really offensive comment to him right before. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wasn't even he kind of taught you the line, you know? Yeah. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't even offended. You know, I was like, ah, oh, fair enough, Dale, you got me fair enough, you know? But, uh, he, uh, one of the things he really instilled on me and, you know, just our, we didn't have a large group in our youth group. There's like four or five of us, five, I think five of us in my priesthood group during, during those couple of years. Mm-hmm. And he, one of the things he instilled in me was, uh, you know, kind of like life is like a, like a, like a dimmer switch, you know, like a light, like a light switch in your home, like a dimmer switch. Like, you know, you can turn the light on a little bit and you can see things, right. You're going to have some light. You're gonna be able to see around the room or the house or whatnot. And you're going to understand the environment you're in based upon that amount of light. But over time, kind of that light increases and you're going to be able to see more and more. Right. And that's kind of how I've actually kind of taken in the world based upon kind of those, that, that kind of metaphor, because, you know, over time my views have changed. Well, you know, I, I, I see, I, you know, I don't, I don't think Mormonism's evil by any stretch of the imagination. Right. I mean, there are no one thing I don't think is evil. There are evil components and people that are in any group, in my opinion. Um, right. And there's plenty of that that have come to light in recent years relative to Mormon, you know, satanic ritual abuse scandals and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think overall, uh, there's a lot of things that are productive within any religion for people. That's what they, they find that they need that in their lives and then they find it beneficial. And I don't think Mormonism is any different, but I think there's a lot of lessons I learned that, that led me on my road to being a conspiracy theorist. Thanks to, you know, the Mormon, the Mormon religion as a whole. And some of my teachers like Dale Bradford. I had another good teacher before him. My previous priesthood from the ages like 13 to, I guess, 16, I guess it was, or 14, 14 to 16, 12 to 14, 14 to 16, 16 to 18. I think that's how it went. And that man's name was uh, Jan Vandermeer. He was a Dutch fellow. Well, I think he was actually born in America, but I think, I think his parents were immigrants. Mm-hmm. But, he, you know, he, his name was Jan, not John, you know. Yeah. And, uh, awesome dude. In fact, his family really, they, they really incorporated me into their family for years to come. After I joined the after I joined the uh, the military, they did like a family newsletter, and they had like nine daughters, nine blonde daughters. <laughs> you know, <laughs> typical so all, all like you know five foot, you know nine to six six foot one kind of you know all tall, you know Dutch Dutch yeah. Dutch have a lot of height to them, and uh, you know that that man instilled a lot of things in my life in, in in my mind and, and uh, left a lot of impressions on me as well. He uh, and again he was very his whole family is very kind. They. Uh, they started publishing me in their newsletters after I joined the Air Force when I was seventeen. Nice. Well, I was on, yeah, I was seventeen, and yeah, uh, yeah. They, they started including me in their newsletters and sending me their newsletters. And I was like, "Well, this is awesome. I'll just I'll keep sending them updates to put in the newsletter." So for a few years there, I remained in contact with them. You know, before I started deploying and everything else all the time, and kind of just lost contact with them. But yeah, I was I was part of the Vandermeer family. They were, you know, you'd have uh, you know the because they had their daughters were, I think their youngest one was probably two years younger than me. And their oldest yeah. one was like 15 years older than me, you know, kind of deal. Right, right. So they had, you know, everyone had like a section of the newsletter, the, like the quarterly newsletter that they, they printed out. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, you know, so, that you know, the older ones would have, you know, their husbands and their kids involved and stuff like that. But then at the last page of the newsletter, there's me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so also- you were like, you were like a really close, like part of the family almost. Oh, for sure. So like, yeah, you know, yeah. he was my priesthood teacher for like two years and wow. And he didn't have any sons. I always got the impression he wanted some sons, you know, because he gave yeah, yeah. nine daughters. And, uh, so we, you know, we, we do a, like a monthly, you know, priesthood, you know, 
group activity, right? Like on like, yeah. a, like a Saturday or something, you know, we all get together. And it, a lot of times we would just go to his house and, and this is, this is the, this was the fun part, especially when I was a teenager. So uh, Jan Vandermeer here, but he was the head designer for Kenner toys here in Cincinnati. <laughs> and it, if you were familiar with Kenner toys back then that, you know, they were making super soaker guns, all the Nerf guns and stuff. Oh, really? No, yeah, I, so I'm he, not familiar. Oh no, you don't know Kenner toys. No, I'm sorry. Oh, they were a mainstay here in Cincinnati. I think they got sold off to somebody. I know he wow. retired. He retired in the early 2000s and started making like Mormon figurines, you know, like Mormon themed figurines and stuff. Because again, he was a toy designer. But yeah, gotcha. he, he would have epic Nerf battles at his house, you know. When I'm like, oh, you know, 13, I remember you 14. telling me about this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had yeah. every Nerf gun imaginable. He had Nerf guns that, that he designed that they never even made, kind of deal, you know. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So it was, uh, <laughs> Pretty, pretty good. I mean, I, again, I, I can't really say I had a lot of bad experiences of any, you know, I just, again, I, I, like anything in life, I try to take it in for what I can, but yeah, I'd say he, he left, a lot, that man left a lot of impressions on me on, on how to look at the world as well. So I think, you know, in large part, just, uh, some of the upbringing and education I had within the Mormon religion on kind of the Gnostic aspects of the way their philosophy views the world and, and then just kind of my own experiences applying that and, and understanding the world in a greater perspective and scope mm-hmm. over the years that I, I, uh, you know, I formed my own opinions. Of course I had a, I had a fast track to how things operate in this world because by the age of 19, I was a SWAT team leader in the air force. Wow. I, I, I had already conducted private security details for the secretary of the air force by that point in time. And, uh, you know, I, uh, protected by the age of 23, I had protected, I'd, I'd, I'd been involved in operational involvement in the protection details of four different U.S. presidents, three, three, three different U.S. presidents. I'm sorry. Three different, uh, George, number one, George, number two, and, and then Bill Clinton. So, okay. So I've, I, gotta, I have uh, some, I gotta, you know, I got, I had an interesting perspective to see that kind of stuff, you know, that you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't have to see how politics work to have, have right. a, kind of a behind, behind the curtain look at how, you know, some things might operate. Or at so least you mentioned, a, You've mentioned your time in the Air Force with me, and I haven't yeah. asked you this, but I got to ask you this, man. What sure. is your opinion, given your time in the Air Force specifically, what is your opinion on the existence of alien life? Oh, I'd say next to nil. Okay. <laughs> that's, and so, that's my opinion, but you know. Your opinion along with that goes with does it tie, is there a tie, if any, to interdimensional extraterrestrial whatever you want to call it life and or air force technology nasa whatever you want to call it dod deep state technology and yeah, could so. we be at the precipice of a reveal of this and is we're that bad we're, yeah we're those, those are excellent questions there detective popcorn we're definitely <laughs> um we're definitely at a precipice of something yeah what it is yet i don't think anyone really knows i think i could speculate and if i were okay. to speculate i would say yeah, I think that in large part, when people say aliens, yeah, they really mean like some sort of interdimensional, ultra terrestrial type of beings, right? Okay. In the John Keel sense, right? Ninth Tower, or whatever they call it. Yeah, I mean, there's different variations of the, that concept, but it, I don't think they're coming from the the planet system, you know, Zebulon, <laughs> to give you <laughs> yeah, an, yeah. your ancient aliens reference before, um, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, alleged you know, planetary system that exists outside of the, in, in quote unquote space. Right. Um, but yeah, I do think that there are many things in this world that, uh, we don't fully understand as, as humanity or society. And, 
and I'm not saying past societies or past uh, iterations of, of different uh, the humanity of other societies, be it like, you know, I think what, what's the, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but the ancient, um, Sumerians. So there we go. The Sumerians. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Yeah. They, you know, cause they, you know, they're oftentimes attributed to this whole ancient alien concept and, and knowledge and stuff. And, you know, maybe they had some of that stuff going on within their, you know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of dispute still in regards to some of those translations and whatnot. I think a lot of it gets kind of reformulated yeah. into modern day interpretations of things. And I think some of those modern day interpretations of things are very nut and bolts alien yeah. craft type of interpretations. And I just, I don't have those kind of interpretations. You don't I think, subscribe to that. No, I think a lot, a lot of that is a uh, psychological operations, intelligence agencies, you know, intentional mm-hmm. misinformation, disinformation regarding surrounding those activities. And I think at the end of the day, it, it, it boils down to just kind of population control, you know, how do you control really the masses? You know, do you and think, again, Maybe that's my kind of Mormon Gnostic kind of outlook on how yeah, yeah. it's just the, the demiurge at work, you know? Yeah, right. No, no. So do you still – so I guess is your idea that, the, that there is a much deeper reality at play that doesn't incorporate anything – outside of, you know, to go back to this Gnostic concept, the shadows on the wall, like us. As absolutely. Humans. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'd say hundred percent. And I'll just, and, and I, I can answer that with uh, some, some quick scientific perspective and that being the light spectrum that we can pick up with our own sense or our, with our own eyesight. And then just the, the uh, spectrum of activity around in the, in the, in the environment we in, we're, we're all in, in the universe that mm-hmm. we can, that we can pick up and understand you know, our senses, while we think we're humanity and humans are the, the most brilliant people that know and see and hear and everything, and it's not right. accurate. You know what I mean? Like, there's, you can only see so much of the available light spectrum. So, oh, I believe th- it. things could easily exist in this world that we can't yes. see because of that, of that light, the, the limitations on our, our visions and in, in, in relative to the light spectrum. And, Let me and just I can, add a quick offer, commentary on that after you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and then I want to, bring it back to your your continuation on that you know it's the torah i think um and my source on this is a video series done in esoterica on youtube the channel uh done by dr um sledge i can't think of his first name maybe it's justin justin sledge hmm. okay, um, i'm not familiar it's a really great channel i recommend anyone who's interested in you know biblical or esoteric Christianity, esoteric Judaism, anything along those lines of Middle Eastern thought and philosophy, check it out. Um, but he talks about like uh, different ways that they try to control um, or how rabbis essentially approach demons or demonology. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how uh, you can, there's actually like a spell or a recipe, however you want to describe it in like a rap, rabbinic text that says, if you want to see the demons as they look over us on the pit, then you have to take like a cat's, um, uh, not a cat's feces, but I, it might be like a cat's, like the crust of a cat's eye or the crust of a dog's eye and put it in your eyes. Oh, weird. Um, and if you do that, you can see the demons as they look above us and you'll be overwhelmed by the number and the propensity of them. 
Um, and, but then they realize that you can see them and it becomes a lot more dangerous. And so right. I've always thought about that, you know, like, okay. And there's also another tie to that with, I think, um, one of the issues with cats guts in, uh, is that they carry toxoplasmosis yep. Gandhi mm-hmm. or something like that. No, you're right. And that, can cause, yeah. that can cause schizophrenia. And, you know, if you oh, subscribe really? to the theory of schizophrenia, in children, it, it, that's what toxoplasmosis does to like expecting mothers. Their kids have a higher risk of schizophrenia. Yep. But if you look at that, like schizophrenia, you could be looking into different dimensions or be able to see a different spectrum. So there's, I think there's a tie in there. You're onto something with that for sure, man. Yeah. And I think when, when you in, introduce things like, uh, in, in, you know, entheogens or hallucinogens into your system, mm-hmm. you know, ingesting some of those drugs, I think that that takes down the veil of that, of that, uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the rest of the world that we, it's not visible. Sort of a punch to the control system per se. Yeah. Almost like a, like a, a medically induced, you know, or, you know, pharmaceutically induced schizophrenia almost, you know, it's, it's kind of similar. If you, I mean, I think I'm not the first person to make the comparison from a yeah. hallucinatory, hallucinatory trip to that of a, you know, as, as far as the experience goes, as far as uh, what schizophrenics feel all the time. Right. I think that's, yeah. uh, you know, a very common correlation um and i think it, it all it does is it releases it it brings down that veil and, and back to mormonism that's a common concept of mormonism is that at, when you're younger the veil is thinner but as you age the veil gets you know thicker and you you don't you know you're you're becoming more worldly yeah so i so going back to you know your time in the air force um is that how you sort of expanded on and started investigating, you know, things like the the smiley face killer and the global cabal link possibly to that or like, you know, the alleged link with that and, you know, the demiurgic vibrations such as worship of an ancient God, such as Pan or Moloch, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You know, and in my opinion, it's the same flavor of Saturn vibrations, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, the, uh, the, yeah, for sure. The time, the times change, the languages change, but the, the characters, they just change their names. It's still the same character. Right. Pan is all things. He changes face. He changes masks, you know, passport yeah, and, and, to a Magonia type shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I can't think of the top off the top of my head right now, but like there's different iterations of pan, right. Within different <laughs> societies over, over history. Right. Right. I wish I could quote which what those variations are, but I man, my mind I'm a bit, my mind's working a bit slow today on that regard. I'm so I'm so upset because you know we we send links to each other all the time. There was a link I meant to send to you to some that someone on Twitter put up. It might have been Twitter. It might have been another. You know what? It was on Hacker News Y Combinator. I'm going to trace down that link. But it yes. was an, a study done on water sacrifices to pan. Oh man, I'd love to read that. Oh, dude. And it was like, literally, it was stuff that we have talked about, um, you know, probably ad nauseum, but right. I just think that is super interesting. Yeah. So I guess to, uh, to I wish get back I, it's to one of those question, things I wish I saved it. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. But yeah. I'd love to read it. I'll definitely follow up with you on that. If you forget, <laughs> just trust me, I won't forget. <laughs> I get, you know, when it comes yeah, to water sacrifices, I, I got to read it. I got to read it. <laughs> You know what I mean? When it comes to water sacrifices, yeah. I'm the that's dude my, that remembers. That's my, that's my wheelhouse. I got I to gotta read that stuff. 
No, I, that's you know, a great I, quote I, to take out of context from this. <laughs> when it comes I'll, to uh, water sacrifices, that's my wheelhouse. I'll, I'll clip it and I'll put it at the very beginning of this podcast when I post you it. You have to. Yeah, before the intro music of uh, Thank you. Kid Rock's Born Free, I'll, I'll clip it and put it up there. I love that edition, by the way. Oh yeah, it's, big it's Kid kind Rock of the, fan. Yeah, it's kind of the mid. I kind of like. I kind of like it as the uh, the modern Freebird. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a big Skinner fan. I got I got thrown out of a club, uh, a nightclub in uh, Bahrain one time. It was a ta- Taiwanese nice. nightclub, so it was all Thai. You know, or not Taiwanese. That's Taiwan. Uh, Thai a Thai nightclub. There's people all from Thailand. You know, they were they were in, at this nightclub. It was in Bahrain though, and yeah. they had a female lead singer of the band. You know, a live band. It was it was it was all right place. You know, and they had a they had lead singer of the band that was playing in this club. It wasn't you know it was like a like a dance club, but they had like a live yeah. band. It was kind of an interesting environment. Yeah, um, yeah. we were. It Dude, was, I know it was the it. Uh, NCOs night out that night. So it was me and like three of my in, my fellow NCOs, the sergeants. You know, a lot of times we were we were taking the airmen, the younger ranking enlisted folks down down into the city. You know, when we were in Bahrain to, to have some nightlife and whatnot. You know, yeah. So yeah. Uh, we we made one of the airmen drive us down that one night, and we just all got pretty pretty wasted. Nice. And, uh, yeah, like some, some Thai hooker tried to steal my friend John's wallet and like he, you know, he hit her. So he became a real boondoggle real, real quick inside this club. But about 30 minutes before that happened, I had already pissed off the band because every time they, they had a break in a song, I would, I would yell, play some free bird. And finally <laughs> the, the five foot two Thai lead singer, female, you know, female lead singer of this rock band. What the hell are you talking about, boy? Yeah, exactly. She started <laughs> cursing me out on, 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 over the microphone. We are not going to play any fucking free bird. We were not babe. <laughs> that's my only interpretation yeah. I can do so yeah it was uh <laughs> I, i've always been a big fan of skinner but you know just the general i just like the concept of uh, freedom and and i think those songs yeah, man, who doesn't those, we're those rolling up well. on one of the best days of the year my friend oh i mean yeah absolutely but to answer your question there's a lot of people who don't like freedom <laughs> oh yeah yeah you're right but yeah so yeah i, I, I used to actually take a, a lot of the, like whatever i feel like a little funny 10 second clip i found in the in each podcast i recorded you may have yeah. noticed this in some of my older podcast archives and i would just put it at the beginning just because i i feel like it would set the tone for the entire show and i'll, I'll do the same thing here with the water sacrifice one for you <laughs> thank you <laughs> And since you mentioned Absolutely. it, for anyone listening, you got to check out GCD YouTube because there hasn't been any postings on there in a long time. Don't kill me. But the postings that are there are pretty interesting, especially the uh, the Pizzagate one. Like, I was like, what? You might have to and refresh like, my memory because I don't even know what all I have posted on that YouTube. Although I, I will probably post this one on there and the one I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to start okay. trying to post stuff on YouTube again. Gotcha. But yeah. Oh, the... Uh, the time, the time traveling Donald Trump Pizzagate situation. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's a, because it's, I, know. I found a link to that. I told you about the numerology stuff behind mm-hmm. Donald Trump. That if you do his like last name is Trump, which is the original right. spelling, correct that equals nine nine nine. And like his whole numerology in his like campaign is brutal with nines. You know, and you can get it. I, I, you know, that's maybe the schizophrenia in me talking, but <laughs> no, I mean, it's good to ask questions, man. I mean, you know, no, nothing gets solved unless questions are asked. You should know that yeah. as a detective. 
Well, and I think that blimp, <laughs> that blimp with the Trump thing on it, that has some, I, I need to write down my notes more often, but like that has some connection to nine and the whole Inglewood Lockhart connection ties sure. in with what you're talking about on that YouTube video. People just need to look into that rabbit yeah. hole. They need to go Honestly, into the Donald Trump time travel rabbit hole. Yeah, and I'll put a link in the description here of that from the YouTube video. But yeah, honestly, that YouTube video was simply a product of I was cruising Reddit one day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, uh, and I saw that, and I was like, no way. I was like, how is he using Anthony Wienergate in the, in the very subsequent sentence Pizzagate, right? Referencing them together as as these disgusting situations, right? How is he using that term Pizzagate in the proper capacity? Yeah. Years before the it hit the, you know, the public mainstream mindset. And has he dropped hints? You know? Yeah. I, I don't know. Is I, that I, a thing? You know, do is I think time travel's real? Wizard, I have no idea. What's that? Is he a wizard of memes? You know, if I, you're a time traveler, yeah. you can implant, like you essentially can incept reality. If you're a time traveler. Sure. Like, you know, the movie inception where they plant like triggers to like get people to like make decisions and shit. No, you absolutely. could MK Ultra and incept reality. If you yeah, and at the end of the day, no one really knows how reality works, you know, and no one really knows if time travel is is possible. I mean, I think Einstein essentially claimed it was possible. Granted, I think Einstein's in large part a fraud, but yeah, you yeah. know, he's often danced out as the the penultimate kind of you know science physics scientist. Even though well, I'm maybe- more of a far more of a Richard Feynman fan myself, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're both like fake in my opinion scientists but yeah i mean so but yeah, to <laughs> no, the point, so, well, to, but to the point of uh of knowing whether or not if donald trump's a time traveler like the reason why i didn't i didn't make that video because i was convinced donald trump was a time traveler i, I made the yeah, video yeah. to ask the I question mean, I am, okay. But okay. like i do a lot of things just to stir a conversation right. however is it possible I'm sure, i couldn't tell you it's not possible you know if i did it would simply be supposition on my part and uh, i guess like he certainly yeah. knew something, right? He he was talking about something in that in that clip, right? Just to take people through this rabbit hole very quickly, we'll start with the Operation GCD podcast YouTube channel. Essentially, Donald Trump posts a video, or he's he's doing an interview. Right, he mentions From his Anthony Weiner and Pizzagate, but this was done like three years before Pizzagate actually even occurred. Right, and then like a year after that it was discovered like so like a total four years before it became a public consciousness of that you know what i mean like no for sure like the gun the guy with the gun came into the pizza place threatening death right absolutely and it was kind of written off at once once those events transpired (laughs) at the pizza shop there in dc with the the whole what i would assert was likely a fabricated psychological operation um engineered psychological operation that is um Uh, when that occurred, suddenly the narrative became when when and everyone was referencing that clip of Donald Trump. Yeah. When that became certain, started becoming more more popular over time. As far as what is Donald Trump talking about here, you know, when his Pizzagate comment, it got written off as that he ate he ate lunch with Sarah Palin at a pizza shop in New York, and they used right. silverware to, to eat their pizza. Uh, it's, that has no context yeah. to the statement that Donald Trump sense. made. You yeah, know what I mean, it was like dismissive, distractive statement exactly yeah, yeah it's um, insert oh, insert false narrative here right so then to take you further into the rabbit hole just a couple more steps and then you can get into it a little bit more sure the, there's another connection to trump and his family with this old 
like Victorian era, I think maybe earlier, maybe later. I don't fucking know. <laughs> this guy named Inglewood Lockhart or Lockwood or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think we're talking 1890s, I think. There we go. There we go. Thank you. 1890s. He comes out with a series of um, like short stories and pamphlets. One called The Last President, which is about the president who serves as the last president of the United States. People like him. People hate him. And he's almost described as Donald Trump. Like, you just got to read it. I'm not going to get into it because I simply can't remember. Um no, there's a lot so, of correlations. The the Fifth Avenue uh, large residence or whatever, yeah, and uh, which is where t- Trump Tower is. You know, the 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 hero or the main character of the book is Baron Trump. His and that's his, his youngest son's name and the young Baron. There's a lot yeah. of lot lot of lot of correlations going on there. And it may, again, it makes you wonder because again, that's not like a very common name, Baron Trump. You know, it's not like right. You know what I mean, not well. John and here's Smith, where it gets you know? weirder. So then there's the Baron Trump thing. Inglewood, Lockhart, Lockwood, whatever his name is, Lockhart. Or I, think I think it is actually Lockwood. I think. <laughs> okay, I thank right. you. Thank you, Lockwood. So the Lockwood author writes another book in addition to The Last President, which we just talked about, called um, Little Baron Trump's like Underworld Adventure or some shit like that. Something, I know yeah, I something I to fucked, that regard. fucked it up, but whatever. Yeah, no, so, it, is, it is like Little Baron Trump's some, something adventure, yeah, yeah. though. So little Baron Trump, he's like this little kid that's like a little boy genius. Think of him as like Agent Cody Banks or like fucking, I don't know. Goonies. Like any, yeah, there's like, he's like a repeated like template or he might be the first of his archetype. But anyway, little Baron Trump, he's like this boy genius. He's got a dog assistant that's also a dog genius. And he's led by his uncle, I think, or some sort of like mentor um, that doesn't molest him. Who's called the Don. Which That's is weird, right. right? That's right. So little Baron Trump, I forget what transpires, but he essentially has to go on an underworld. And this is where my intersections get crazy. So he goes underworld. He finds these people that are blind, but their hearts are like open. And it's just really weird and really strange. But there is a strange intersection with that detail there, with the people with their hearts open and shit, is that one, it's subterranean. Sure. And two the details of the subterranean race in many aspects, in my opinion, intersect very well with the descriptions given in the book Edadorpa, which is Aphrodite back, backwards, I think, oh. um, with the book Edadorpa and the underworld population described in that book as well. Yeah, I've heard of that, but I, know, I guess I never considered that's Aphrodite backwards. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I think. I learned that from the, uh, the the Penny Royal podcast. That's not pure knowledge from myself. No, fair enough. But that's still an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. Certainly interesting. Um, but yeah, so I've mentioned the Donald Trump stuff. It's just weird. Like, And so like, I think the argument in some circles is that with the influence of this book, you know, is there some multidimensional aspect there? Is there some time traveling aspect there? And like there isn't any validity if you're just looking in the rabbit hole from that context. But if you add the context of Donald Trump's family, specifically his uncle, who I believe was tasked with um, retrieving documents and materials from Tesla's private laboratory after John, his death. John G. Trump. Yes. And that could have included some form of technology that was then maybe hidden for the Trumps only. And they control through that in some yeah. fashion. I think that's like the, scope of the, the rabbit hole. Yeah, so there you, you go. Know. Yeah. So John, just to give you a couple more details on the John G Trump aspect of that, that tale. So he was a, he was an esteemed MIT physicist professor. Um, uh, I want to say 30, 40 years there at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of technology. 
And uh, during World War II, he was uh, brought in into a U.S. Army program. It was of an intelligence nature to, uh, for, for I think, for in excess of just this, this Nikola Tesla-related activities. And that project, I believe, was called Project 87, maybe? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even declassified for 40 years. So it wasn't even declassified until the 1980s. Project 87, okay. I think it was Project 87. Project, it's Project and a Number. I know that much. But yeah, so as the story goes, John G. Trump was uh, tasked with collecting the uh, the uh, scientific uh, instruments and papers of Nikola Tesla after Tesla's death in New York City um, when he's living there at one of the hotels there in New York City. And, and so... Uh, yeah, you never know. I mean, if, if, if that is possible, if time travel is possible, Nikola Tesla had some sort of you know, um, some sort of, uh, technology he had developed along those lines. And, you know, it's certainly, you know, it builds a circumstantial argument to the matter. And, yeah. and again, to add to greater degree to that circumstantial argument, Donald Trump, I, I've not witnessed a Donald Trump, anyone like Donald Trump pull the strings of reality, right? He, he's like the, he's like the puppet master of reality. Right. In many regards, not like, not like everything in reality. I'm just saying like, you know, you, you look at the way he operates and the things that he does, and he's dictating the things in his life. Like, some people may look at it right now and be like, oh, no. Donald Trump is probably pissed off because he's got all these indictments and stuff. No, not even a little yeah. bit. Donald Trump has walked. Riz. Yeah, he's walked every one of those indictments right to where he wants them. Yeah. You know, well, you know he, they he, say they described, like, Clinton in the same fashion. Like, they said that he had, like, this, like, Jedi mind trick almost. Like, when he talked to you, you felt like, he was warping reality around you. What makes you think like, do like do each presidential candidate, are they predetermined if they are, or are they just given like the stone of destiny or something to like make people feel like that about them? It's, it's an interesting thought. I mean, they are, they are all family. They're all cousins yeah. of mine. That is. Yeah. Which is kind of nuts. Like when you look at that, that's kind of crazy. Think individuals like um, Trump would be more closely related to me than, than Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, I don't think has much of any Scottish, Scott's Irish heritage there. So whereas, was whereas JFK? I'm, I'm a member of, is I'm he a member of, related? To yeah, the oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, presidential. I'm a member of Clan McLeod, which that's Donald Trump's mother was a McLeod. She was born in Scotland. I have to get with you offline about this in terms of my Scottish heritage, my friend. I just don't want to talk about it on here. Yeah, but you can look. I mean, there's one website in particular. If you just type in into Google "famous Ken," yeah, famous K I N, and then type in you know, John F. Kennedy, right? And it'll, it'll bring up a list of a lot of famous people he's related to, including other U.S. presidents. And it'll tell you ex- the exact lineal relations between, I think the Mormons operate that site, by the way. Um, it'll tell you the exact lineal relations or ancestral relations of their lineage that, that, that connect them. You know, um, for example, Barack Obama is my first cousin seven times removed, I believe, six times removed. My New England heritage of the, you know, back in the Dunham family. That's his mother's family. That's crazy. Um, and then, uh, you know, he's related, he's related, he's related to Dick Cheney. He's related to Bush. I'm a Bush. I have Bush in my, in my, uh, New England heritage. Um, but yeah, so, um, more of the Scots Irish wing is more of my relations. Like James Madison is my first cousin five times removed. His, my fourth great grandfather is Colonel John Madison. Should I call you garbage can blue blood now? <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, John, and John, Colonel John Madison was President James Madison's paternal uncle. So he would have been my 
Uh, I was, I'm from Colonel John Madison's daughter. So that James Madison's first cousin would be my foremother. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but if you look, if you look at, I mean, there were, I didn't know about any of these relations between the presidents until I mean, I was interested in genealogy and stuff like that, but I was, no, I was on Reddit one day, like 10 years ago. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> All great things this, arrive from what was I mean, Reddit? Reddit? Reddit used to be a good source back in the day. I, I started getting shadow banned there a lot, so I quit using it years, you know, probably yeah. years ago or so. I nine, feel Seven yeah. years ago. I was making a lot of posts about the McDonald's McRib, and McDonald's was not having it. <laughs> so Dude, I actually that's did, amazing. I did, I did an entire <laughs> podcast on the McRib. I don't know if you're aware, if you've heard of that one. No. Oh, yeah. That's I need to fucking find this, man. I'll put it in the show notes. The, it's, the, it's the great McRib <laughs> conspiracy. you got to. I can't believe this. I break it down. I break it down how the McRib was, uh, was, was derived, economically speaking, why McDonald's was they, – they didn't have like, oh, we have a great idea. The McRib, you know, about this McRib sandwich. Um, instead, they were they they were the price of chicken had, had skyrocketed, and they needed a new menu item. Basically, in fact, one of my old roommates, my one of my good Air Force one of my, uh, dudes from the Air Force, we, we lived together. Me and three of my dudes in the Air Force, we all had a house. You know, twenty years ago, twenty five years ago in Montana, on our first yeah. assignment, we all we all lived in uh, everyone we worked with called it the the uh, frat house or the animal house. But you know, it was nice. a good time. <laughs> but one of my roommates and one of my dudes there that I lived with in that, in that home, he, uh, and served within the air force. He, uh, he got out and became a robotics engineer. He, you know, he's from a family of scientists type of folk. And, uh, I don't know why he was ever a cop in the air force to be quite honest, with you. <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, his uncle actually invented the restructured meat patty, which is, wow. the, which, which is the, the, uh, you know, the McRib is the licensed name of the, the restructured meat patty for McDonald's. But, the, the the guy his uncle invented was one of the three we have him to blame the, for that that amazing I, I was gonna blame monstrosity him per, yeah i was gonna i was gonna dress with him personally but it turns out that man's kind of uh probably seems kind of a racist because uh, when my friend got married <laughs> at, at his wedding I, I was excited to go meet the man who invented the mcrib and you know, yeah. this is probably like five years ago when he four years ago when he got married now nah, five i think 2018 out in los angeles he married uh into a, a persian family and so his wife's persian yeah, I don't yeah. think his I don't think his his Montana family his his family's from like Mon, you know, the sticks of Montana, and I don't think they cared. A lot of them didn't care for that. I, I think. Yeah, Persian so was the a little too brown for their liking. Yeah, the restructured meat patty scientist <laughs> didn't uh, did not did not make it to the wedding. That's hilarious. Yeah, I was I was somewhat disappointed. I wanted to go meet the Mister McRib guy, but yeah, so, so I did I did I did a podcast on that, and you know I saw a lot of shadow banning going on around twenty. I guess it would have been twenty sixteen around that time. And then, nice. uh, but relative to the Donald Trump stuff, I actually didn't. I think you've listened to it, right? The Donald Trump conspiracy extravaganza. Yeah. Yes, I think is what I called it. I'd recommend and, and, that. And oh yeah, thanks. And relative to the time travel aspects of that, I don't know if you 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 took notice, but I, I made it a very Biff Tannen uh, artwork for the imagery of that of that podcast episode. I'll have to revisit to, it. Back to the Future, Biff Tannen, time traveling, you know, alternate yes. reality. Okay, yeah, now I'm remembering. Yeah, because I have I have Trump with the, the hotel and everything. It has <laughs> just a very kind of Biff Tannen <laughs> hotel kind of concept to it. Nice. So I try, to, yeah, I try to I try to layer the uh, the concepts and, and the ideas of each of each podcast within episode. imagery. Yeah, I used to do I, I used to do it every every show within the imagery, but I, I try to layer it within the writing of the show as well. Nice. Well, um. Just to recap, I'll include some of the links uh, that I've referenced to some of the Lockhart or Lockwood stuff. Um, yeah, I do which got one, let's include... solve that. Which one is it? Because I don't, I don't really know. Is it in your wood? Let's look it up. Hold on. I can't Lockhart believe I didn't look Lockwood. it up. I'm awful with names, so. 
Me too. Oh, you're right. Uh, wait, hold on. Let's see, Inglewood. Yeah, 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 Lockwood. Ingersoll Lockwood. Ingers. There we go. I was about to say, I'm yep. like Ingersoll Lockwood. All right, that makes so, more sense. Yep, I'll include some of the Amazon links to those books, and uh, yeah, let me know if there's anything else that I touched on that you want me to get you some links to. Oh, the pan water sacrifice thing. Oh, I believe I saw yeah, that on well, Y Combinator. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, let me try to find that, and then I'll give you. Yeah, that, while, but, while you're looking for that, I'll answer your question: How I kind of got into studying cults and human yeah, sacrifice yeah. in 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 mounds. So, um, I'm part Cherokee, which I've only re- recently discovered that in recent years through DNA tests. Um, didn't know that beforehand. Um, a lot of things I found out in my DNA tests, including uh, I'm cousins with I'm third or fourth cousins with the second great granddaughter of Joseph Smith woman by the name of Kimberly Smith. I've never spoke to the woman. I just, you know, I was looking at some of my cousins in the DNA database and I was like, who are all these Smiths? And then she was the first Smith. And I, I, I Googled her email address from the DNA database. And the first pop up on Google was, uh, was a blog post of how she discovered she was the great second great granddaughter of Joseph Smith and it caused her to join the Mormon church. So oh, yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. Cause I, I, yeah. I honestly probably would have had an opposite response to that as an adult, but you know, to each their own. And, uh, but relative to the mounds, I mean, that Mormons are very mound centric. I mean, the whole story of Mormonism is, is centered around a mound. You know, Joseph Smith discovered the, uh, golden plates, which was the, the, uh, which he allegedly transcribed into the book of Mormon in other, in the other Mormon texts, the doctrine and covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, etc. He, and he found that in a mound in upstate New York. So that's as the story goes. And that, that's, uh. That's, uh, the hill, it's called the hill Camorra. In fact, my, uh, my priesthood teacher mentor from my, uh, my later years there in my teenage years, that man I mentioned before that punched me in the face in the basketball, <laughs> basketball scrimmage, Dale Bradford. Yeah. He, uh, in recent years, he was actually the, uh, the regional kind of, uh, governor, if you will, it's called stake president S T A K E, but it's like a regional kind of like governor position yeah. in the Mormon hierarchy. He was the gotcha. stake president in charge of hill Camorra. So I, oh. I, I'm on my way to and from Vermont, my, my annual, uh, you know, Mecca trip to Vermont every summer. Yeah. I, uh, I stopped, I stopped through there to say hello a few years back. And, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the Mormon, Mormon has, Mormonism has its origins in a mound and, and, uh, you know, it just stem from there. It was the nucleus yeah, and, of you know, the mound investigations. Yeah. That was a lot, large part. And again, it just got aggressive, more aggressive over the years. Like, you know, like I said, finding out I was Cherokee part Cherokee, well, fairly significant Cherokee heritage. Um, the uh, Cherokee have their origin story in a mound, and that mound sits today there in Cherokee, North Carolina. In fact, if you go to the museum nearby the mound there in Cherokee, North Carolina, you can see my third great uncle's battle axe, a man by the name of uh, Bob Bengay. I think it's Benji, B-E-N-G-E, but I like to call no, it No, no, it's Bengay. Yeah, it's Bengay, for sure. <laughs> And Bob Bengay was an interesting character. So he, he became like the, uh, the boogeyman of sorts. Like he was a pretty fierce warrior. He was actually eventually murdered around the revolutionary times. And, uh, he was beheaded and, and, uh, the people that killed him mailed his head to, uh, George Washington. I believe oh. how the story goes because, uh, because he Bob was Bengay's, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm just Bob Bengay's brother-in-law was the, uh, was my, was uh, my apparent forefather which was a close friend of George Washington. And it was, he was the principal chief of the Cherokee, a man by the name of George Lowry. He was a Scots, he was a Scotsman, Scots, uh, Scottishman, um, 
uh, by the name of Lowry, obviously his father was a ship captain and his mother was a Cherokee, the daughter of a Cherokee chief. And that's within the Cherokee religion. It's not a patriarchal society. It's a, it's a matriarchal society. Yeah. So, you know, the chiefs of this, of the the tribes, yeah, the chiefs of the tribes are, are, is, is a result of because their mother is, is Cherokee and their mother, you know, is, you know, the daughter of a chief, you know, but yeah, Bob Bengay, uh, 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 Major Major George Lowry, Principal Chief of the Cherokee. He was a member of the Society of Cincinnati, close personal friend of George Washington. His brother-in-law was Bob Ben Gay. He married he married Bob's sister Lucy, and uh, they were part. They were actually half half British, half Cherokee. Wow! And then uh, and then uh, there's an Irish, some more some intermingling with the the Cherokee and the Scots Irish in my in my lineage there in that in that part part of my tree. But which there's is some big, things I want to touch on with that Scottish Cherokee connection or next. Oh, there's broadcast. a lot there. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot there. Yes. There's still stuff I'm learning. You know, I yeah, didn't even know it was really a thing. I think I I think I touched on in our previous chat we had, but there's some interesting um synchron synchronicities there. You did mention today. I know I remember reading some stuff you were mentioning the uh was it the Pale Giants or something like that or Yeah, and the Bledsoe family yeah. connections to that, their connections to the NASA, you know, psyop, whatever is going on. It's just some some interesting stuff. Yeah. So over time, I've just kind of just always finding myself studying mounds, you know, between yeah. Mormonism, Cherokee, the Society of Cincinnati, who are deeply right. into the mound stuff. And again, the Society of Cincinnati, I have an extensive network of people in my family tree, both in the past and present day, that are members of that that society. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I don't know who they are necessarily. Like I can, I can make some educated guesses within my immediate family and I'm pretty sure I'd be spot on. However, they're not going to, no one's admitted that to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, I have conversations with people about it, but no one, you know, everyone's just like, Oh, you know, these kind of glaze over it. You know what I mean? No one wants to talk about it. So I'm like, I don't push the subject. I just bring it up again later. So everywhere I look over time, that's kind of where I get into mounds. And then when I'm studying mounds, I, you know, Mormonism's kind of a cult and, you know, it has yeah. its origins in ceremonial magic, right? So then I got into the whole, you know, ceremonial magic aspects. And we, you and I discussed that in our last podcast that I, I just published today, which was the uh, cult esoteric, cult and or esoteric history of, uh, history tour of Cincinnati, the Claremont County edition. And which was a, an addendum to the part one with, with recluse Steven Snyder and our associate Jason. And, uh, this was the part two of the Claremont County side of that. And again, kind of an addendum to that same conversation from part one, but the, uh, my, my point being is, you know, I, I got into all these studying these things. Cause again, the Mormonism, the cult, you know, ritualistic origins of Mormonism, ceremonial magic led me into, you know, theosophical society, which again yep. was run by, um, a member of the society of Cincinnati, you know, there we uh, go. I think he was the second president of the Theosophical Society, uh, and his name was uh, uh, Ab- Abner Doubleday. He was uh, I love that man name, of- Abner. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> if, if I ever have another son, I'd, I'd probably name him that Abner. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I named my I named my I named my 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 own. I only have one son right now, but I named him after my my two well two of my forefathers. One I thought they were both my second great grandfathers. DNA test would suggest one of them is probably slightly more closely related than that to me, than second great grandfather. But um, Levi Jackson Vance was one of was was, nice. the, was the man's name. So that's yeah, uh, carried on that name. Yep, Jackson. Yep, Jackson Vance. But yeah, the um, 
So yeah, you know, starting the you know, the, so the Theosophical, you know, again, so I'm I'm looking at ceremonial magic, and I'm 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 coming back to the Society of Cincinnati again with Abner Doubleday, and Abner Doubleday is the man who allegedly invented baseball, the game of baseball. He's he's often credited with the invention of baseball, and if you look at the game of baseball, what's it focused around? A mound. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Interestingly enough, huh? Yeah. yeah. And. uh the uh and again he you know the inventor of it was a society of cincinnati member and a ceremonial magician i mean what are we talking about here you know shit yeah what <laughs> yeah you kind of just actively blown my mind with that yeah it has some greater implications doesn't it yes you know wow. then you fall then you follow the theosophical society through through its evolutions in time and what organizations adhere to those principles and, and incorporate them in their belief systems, you're going to find yourself within the Nazi occult religions of the Thule society, right? You're going to find yourself yep. looking at uh, Thelema because Thelema was largely influenced by the Theosophical Society. And like Sproul. we said, once you dive into Gnosticism, it opens your mind. Big time. So, you know, I, I, it's it's been an interesting journey I've taken on these studies, and it's something I've actively done for about 15 years now. And honestly, started around 2008 when I, uh, I, I don't, I don't know why I, maybe it was boredom. Maybe it was, uh, you know, I, I can't really say it was boredom. I mean, I, I, you know, had, I, I had always had things to do work, sports, you know, uh, college, you know, drinking, you know, every night <laughs> when I was stationed at headquarters in DC, um, for, for almost, uh, almost six years, I guess, five and a half. Phew. But I, yeah. uh, I just started retracing the steps of George Washington. I don't, and I didn't even really know I was related to him at the time, you know, so. It, that genetic uh, drive, maybe. Yeah. I honestly think that some of the, I would, I, I would go to Mount Vernon every year for his birthday. Yeah. You know, cause I had the day off work. It was a holiday, you know, might as well go to Mount Vernon. And I, I almost felt like people there knew me like, oh, this guy's back again. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and again, you know, George Washington started the Society of Cincinnati. He, he loved mounds. He built two 80 foot conical mounds is, is uh, at the entryway to his, his uh, estate there at Mount Vernon. When he inherited Legend has it, he made sweet love to several women in, in between them. I'm just <laughs> <Right>. kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, he, technically he did because he, he, he allegedly had a number of uh, offsprings with uh, some of his, uh, some of his slaves. No different Ain't than nothing uh, but a G thing. Thomas George Jefferson Washington and the thing. rest of those guys. From now on, we're just going to say ain't nothing but a G thing. Right. <laughs> we're talking about George Washington. Oh, he was a ga- I mean, in, in large part, he was a gangster of sorts. I mean, he truly he, uh, was. Yeah. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I, I have much uh, veneration for the man yeah. and his, and what he stood for from, from all of his writings and stuff that I, that I can gather that what he stood for, uh, <laughs> in my interpretations and, you know, in his actions as well. If um, he was a reptilian, again, he's my favorite reptilian. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Because you know he he did he he largely spoke of freedom and pushed freedom and liberty and those were the core concepts and belief systems that, that drove a lot of his actions in life and you know but at the end of the day I I make I oftentimes make this joke it, it's all it must be a family tradition of ours because he he's he's got even more uh you know the Van, the clan Vance and, and uh you know is uh was a prominent Templar family Knights Templar yep. and. Uh, you know, the Washington, Washington's got lineage within some of the more ancient clan Vance heritage as well. And dating back to the Magna Carta, you know, 1215, uh, the, the main Knights Templar that, that was responsible for the uh, the signing of the Magna Carta. It was a man by the name of Robert de Ross and his wife was a, was a, was a Vance, Maud, Maud Vance. Hmm. 
So, you know, again, there's a lot of history there um, within those two families, within the Scots-Irish heritage of those two families. And in, in, in on that same note with Kennedy. So I'm I'm a fairly, uh, I'm not going to say fairly close cousin to Kennedy, but I'm closer to a lot of the other presidents relations-wise, distant cousins-wise with, uh, with Kennedy than I am with some of the other presidents because Kennedy's great-grandmother, I'm sorry, third great, third great-grandmother, I'm trying to, let me think here. Fifth great grandmother is my seventh great grandmother. I think is how it goes. Or my, yeah, I think that's how it goes. Because the grandmother, uh, the the Kennedys, the Kennedys and the Vances, uh, Clan Vance and in, in the and his Kennedy clan, they they intermarried in Northern Ireland in the early 1600s. I think that's eight, seven or eight for me, and maybe five or six for him. That's crazy to, to the closest relations. Yeah. So in that, and that, and that, um, that wing of clan Vance, uh, uh, that man, the, the, the man that married the, the sir, his name was sir John Vance. I think mm-hmm. he married uh, Kennedy and, uh, which would have been again, that, that woman's parents would, or, or within the same family tree as, um, John F. Kennedy's lineage there. Um, so that, that's, that's the, that's the connection there. But, uh, sir John Vance's, <laughs> father was sir patrick vance and or vans actually because it's the mm. sky sir john vance was the first member of clan vance from from scotland into northern ireland to, to be the ulster scots of northern ireland and his father was sir patrick vans of Bar- the barn Barak vances now, the nazis burned our estate down our family's estate down during world war ii strangely enough it, it sits there today in ruins in, in barn Barak, scotland um, but Sir Patrick Vans was the close associate of King James of the Bible fame. In fact, he served as the ambassador between, uh, the, you know, it, to broker the marriage between King James and is it Queen Margaret of Norway? I think that's, I think that's who he married. So that was that was he was the he was the ambassador and diplomat that was sent to Norway to to, to broker that marriage, and. Uh, was a close associate of, uh, of King James of, of, you know, Jamestown, Virginia fame of the Bible King James yeah. version fame. So, yeah, I mean, Clan Clan Vance has, has been very integrated throughout a lot of Western society history in, in those respects. Dude, I'd love to I dive back. Just to be clear, I don't intend to that. carry on any of those elements of, of Clan Vance's history. I, I have no interest in politics. or. <laughs> like, I'm the black sheep of the family. In fact, you're the uh, evil black sheep. Right, exactly. In <laughs> fact, uh, somebody on Twitter a few years ago, I was engaging with somebody. I don't even remember who it was. Just you know, no one. I, I don't think it was anybody I followed or that followed me. Maybe just I'll have to see if I can find it in the thread. If I can, I'll put it yeah, in the yeah. uh, in the show links because it was one of my. It was one of the funniest comments. I laughed my ass off when he read it. When I read it, I think it was my. It was my bootleg producer was talking to somebody and incorporated me into the conversation. Darren the Brit nice. was a uh, was incorporating me into the conversation and. I believe the person concluded that I was uh, the black sheep of the Illuminati or something like that. I was nice, like, all right, nice. all right. It's a funny comment, but I don't put any validity to this. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so, offense. but you know, you look at all these presidents though, like it is a good question. Why is it that every U S president has been related to each other? Dude. Right. Reptilian. Yeah. Well, I mean, in regards to studying secret societies and how I kind of, in how Blue I get blood. down these roads and pathways and rabbit holes, I mean, Coming it really makes race. you wonder if you just try to consider that on his face, like how is it possible, statistically possible that we have these or, alleged organic, you know, uh, presidential elections and campaigns over the history of this nation. Right. And every U S president, I think with the exception of one 
is related to each other. And that one, to my understanding in my, in my studies is, is, uh, is Van Buren, uh, Martin Van Buren. Sorry. But, no, you're fine. But Martin, Van, but Martin Van Buren's wife is part of the family. She's, she's related to all the other presidents. Interesting. Makes, really makes you wonder. Cause they just want that, that kid. You know what I mean? They I just want know. that kid. And then <laughs> I on top know. of that, it, on top of that, it seems like all of these families are so intertwined over the years, right? Yeah. They're like interlaced, like a web. Yeah, is that accidental? Is that inadvertent? No way. Is there, mm. is there someone orchestrating this? You know what I mean? Society. Honestly, like society. I, I, I leave it open. I leave that open for a possibility. But honestly, what I lean towards is it's machinations of this universe that we don't understand and we cannot see. Right. Arconic machinations yeah. starting maybe, from the top down. Maybe I say that because my ex-wife was my fifth cousin Campbell of, of the Scottish clan Campbell of the Dukes of Argyle. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And I didn't know that, obviously, when I married her. But when I started doing genealogy and my DNA test, I'm like, yo, we're fifth cousins Campbell. <laughs> what a <the> fuck. <laughs> yeah. As if my son needed any more inbreeding. <laughs> He's already four times a Vance, you know what I mean? From the oh, same, no. the same Vance dude, you know, and it's oh, not man. a Vance dude that lived 800 years ago. It's a Vance dude that, that died on July 16th, 1819. Shit. That's allegedly when he was hung. And again, dude. which I've always found intriguing because that's again, Abner Vance. And I, I always find it intriguing because uh, my birthday is July 16th. That is interesting. Yeah. And, it, and I was born in the year. 1981 not, and he died in the year 1819 oh damn yeah do we gotta dive into this on the next oh, yeah, in terms of the george washington connection there too yeah i'd love to man it's a, it's an interesting connection i'm always happy to talk about george washington the society of cincinnati or just america in general well that's it that's the show here folks so the next time you're out on the town visiting your local watering holes or perhaps just meandering around and you hear the unmistakable sounds of metal clanking, and you spot signs of a disturbance. Well, check your six. Look in that garbage can, because you never can tell. The GCDs may be loose in your town. Music